0: Nikki Haley vows to stay in the Republican race for president after losing to Donald Trump in South Carolina's GOP primary.
1: I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word.
0: Plus, Benjamin Netanyahu pledges to push ahead with an invasion of Rafa despite U.S. pushback. And why Warren Buffett is happy standing pat on a record pile of cash. It's Monday, February 26th. I'm Luke Vargas for The Wall Street Journal, and here is the AM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories moving your world today. Over the weekend, Donald Trump won another resounding victory in South Carolina's Republican primary. Yet his opponent, that state's former governor, Nikki Haley, is continuing to stay in the race. With more on the results and what's to come, I'm joined by Wall Street Journal senior political correspondent Molly Ball. Molly, I take it this result was not a huge surprise in South Carolina. Tell us what other main takeaways you're seeing coming out of this that could inform the primary in Michigan tomorrow and the race to come.
1: The result is really not much of a surprise. All of the polls had shown Nikki Haley losing to Donald Trump by a large double-digit number, and in the end, that was what happened. She lost by pretty much exactly 20 points. So not much of a surprise here, but it is a significant result in the sense that For weeks now, we've known that Donald Trump is almost certainly the nominee of the Republican Party. While Haley is able to get 40% of the Republican primary vote, she's not doing very well with actual Republicans. Most of her support is coming from voters who consider themselves independents or even Democrats. But when it comes to Republicans, Donald Trump is winning the vast majority. It's very hard to win a Republican primary without Republicans, and that continues to be a problem for Nikki Haley. On the other hand, she is demonstrating that those Democrats and independents, those crucial swing voters that Trump is going to need to win in November, they are still staying away from him and, in fact, are coming to the polls to cast protest votes against him. And
0: how is Haley trying to leverage that 40 percent support or not? She remains far away from getting the GOP nomination.
1: There really isn't much of a theory of the case on the part of Haley and her campaign. It really is just something changes or magic happens or there's an earthquake, uh, there's a natural disaster. Many people do see her as being in this race primarily as a fallback, as a plan B option in case something were to happen with Donald Trump, either something that would change a lot of voters' minds about him or something that would change his stature in this race. She has been attacking Donald Trump very aggressively and saying, that the reason she's still in this race is because she knows he can't win the general election and because polls show that a majority of voters, a very large majority of voters don't want either Donald Trump or Joe Biden to be the Republican and Democratic nominees in this race. So she says she is in there to give voters an alternative, to give them another choice. And even if she's not the choice of the majority of Republican primary voters in any of these contests across the map, she's going to continue serving as that alternative.
0: And how is Trump responding to those attacks?
1: Something we hear a lot from the Trump campaign is that Nikki Haley isn't really a Republican, that because she's supported mainly by non-Republicans, because a lot of her donors at this point are independents or Democrats, that she fundamentally shouldn't have the Republican nomination if she can't win Republican voters. They want her to get out of the race in order to unify the party behind Donald Trump, and they think that she is harming him by staying in. Trump has decided he is over this primary, and he's going to start looking ahead to the general election. So we heard in his speech on Saturday night, he really trained his sights on Joe Biden. He did not mention Nikki Haley. Trump is the frontrunner by a mile, if not more. And And so he's just going to start acting as if he were a general election candidate and let her do whatever she wants to do.
0: Can Trump afford to take that strategy? Nikki Haley, as we've reported, is continuing to raise a lot of money to sustain her campaign.
1: The problem for Nikki Haley is she really does not have any way of forcing Trump into a direct confrontation with her if she can't win a primary. She's not a threat to him in terms of this primary race. We expect him to keep winning primaries, Michigan on Tuesday, Super Tuesday on March 5th when 16 different states vote. So if he wants to ignore her, he certainly can. On the other hand, what he can't do is force her out of the race. She continues to have a quite vibrant donor base. She gets a lot more support from those, well, Wealthier and more highly educated voters, a lot of the sort of Wall Street contingency of the Republican Party and even some Democrats. So as long as she's got the money to continue running a campaign, she can stay in the race as long as she wants, and that is what she's signaling she intends to do.
0: Sort of playing this out, is it clear what Haley's end game might be according to her camp?
1: There are a lot of questions right now about what Nikki Haley's endgame is. Is she preserving her political capital for a potential run for president in 2028? She's still relatively young. She could have a long political future ahead of her, although not in a Trumpified Republican party. That's pretty clear. She's burned her bridges when it comes to being a potential running mate for Donald Trump. It's pretty clear that that is no longer in the cards. And a lot of Republicans, including Republicans that are not inside the Trump campaign, are concerned that she is damaging him in the general election, that by making the argument against him and attacking him so aggressively from the standpoint of a Republican, she is hurting his chances in the general election. She's damaging his image with a lot of the voters that he's going to need in November.
0: I've been speaking to Wall Street Journal senior political correspondent Molly Ball, who's covering the 2024 presidential race for us. Molly, thank you so much, as always. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Luke. Coming up, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu pledges to push ahead with an invasion of the southern Gaza city of Rafah as Israel faces mounting international pressure to halt its plans. We've got that story and much more after the break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is pledging to push ahead with an invasion of the southern Gaza city of Rafah, regardless of whether Israel can reach a hostage deal with Hamas. Netanyahu told CBS's Face the Nation that once an operation in Rafah commenced, the most intense phase of the war, quote, would be weeks away from completion, end quote, and that a total victory over Hamas was within reach. Those comments come as Israel continues to face intense international pressure to halt its plans to invade Rafah, where more than one million displaced Palestinians are sheltering. Here was White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on NBC's Meet the Press. We've been clear that we do not believe that an operation, a major military operation, should proceed in Rafah unless there is a clear and executable plan to protect those civilians, to get them to safety and to feed, clothe and house them. And we have not seen a plan like that. Meanwhile, President Biden is set to meet with top congressional leaders tomorrow to press them on passing an emergency aid package for Israel and Ukraine. That comes as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since Russia launched its invasion two years ago, the first time that he disclosed the country's losses in the war. The Republican-led House is under pressure to pass the $95 billion national security package after it cleared the Senate, but House Speaker Mike Johnson has been resistant to put the aid bill up for a vote. A legal showdown pitting social media giants Meta and Google with Texas and Florida over laws designed to curb platforms' power to moderate users' posts is set for a hearing today at the Supreme Court. The dispute centers on laws passed in both states in 2021 that were driven by lawmaker claims that conservatives were being censored online and which required social media platforms to post nearly everything that users have to say tech industry trade groups sued to block those laws, however, arguing that they were effectively being forced to publish objectionable content that harmed users and advertisers. The fate of the laws will depend on how social media platforms are classified, either as publishers, which have the First Amendment right to make editorial decisions about the content that they distribute, or as generic common carriers alongside airlines, railroads, and internet services. Berkshire Hathaway chairman and chief executive Warren Buffett has revealed that the conglomerate is sitting on a record cash position of more than $160 billion. Journal reporter Karen Langley said that while some investors had hoped Buffett would use his annual shareholder letter to reveal potential targets for acquisition, he said there were few attractive candidates in the U.S. or abroad.
2: He said that there are only a handful of companies in the U.S. that are really capable of of moving the needle at Berkshire and that those have been picked over at this point. He cautioned shareholders that Berkshire doesn't have the potential for eye-popping performance, which is, of course, a change from the company's earlier years when it was smaller and so could grow rapidly. Buffett also talked about the fact that Berkshire holds much more cash and as well as treasury bills than conventional wisdom would say is needed. But he talked about how the company wants to be prepared when an economic crisis eventually comes and that Berkshire really wants to make sure not to inflict permanent financial damage on any of its
0: shareholders. Buffett also disclosed that Berkshire now owns about a 9% stake in five large Japanese trading companies which have contributed 8 billion dollars in unrealized gains amid the recent rally in the Nikkei. Well, speaking of last week's record-setting market rally in which the S&P 500, Nikkei and Europe's stock 600 all hit new highs, what could possibly be next? Katie Barnato is our Europe Markets editor. Katie, we've now seen the Nikkei hit another record today, but generally speaking, last week seems like it's going to be a really hard act to follow. What is on tap in the days ahead?
2: Well, yes, I think it's fair to say there aren't the same obvious market drivers looking forward to this week. We've still got the afterglow of NVIDIA's earnings and the brief crossing of the $2 trillion mark. But earnings season is now winding down a bit. We've got some biggish companies, Lowe's, Salesforce, HP and Paramount, building through the week. But I wouldn't expect them to be big movers of the broader market. In terms of economic data, it's maybe the same thing. Today, we've got new US home sales figures. We expect them to show an uptick in sales for January, along the lines of what we saw from the existing home sales data a little earlier. And then after that, we've got the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge, the PCE price index that's due out on Thursday. That should give us further insight into the pace of inflation in January. But it is worth noting this hasn't moved markets for some months because we have the consumer price index that always comes out early in the month. And this month, we are expecting roughly similar readings from both.
0: Meanwhile, plane makers Airbus and Boeing could be facing fresh competition. Asia's largest aviation event, the Singapore Air Show, wrapped up over the weekend with Chinese plane maker Comac turning a number of heads. The Journal's Rachel Liang was there and said that Comac hopes its C919 narrow-body jet can go head-to-head with planes from Airbus and Boeing, especially as the latter contends with recent stumbles.
2: So, Comac displayed its C919 jet outside of China for the first time. And this is also the first time that Comac is attending the Singapore Air Show. On the first day of the show, Tibetan Airlines and Comac announced this purchase of 40 C919 jets. Tibetan Airlines is a Chinese airline co owned by a private investor and Air China. Comac did receive some foreign airlines orders, but those airlines are mostly controlled by Chinese investors. So what's next to see is some foreign non-Chinese airlines showing real interest in the jet. We're expecting orders to be coming out soon.
0: And that is What's News for Monday Morning. Today's episode was produced by Kate Bullivant and Charlie Duffield. Our supervising producer is Sandra Kilhoff, and I'm Luke Vargas for The Wall Street Journal. We will be back tonight with a new show. Until then, thanks for listening.